Hello, and welcome to RD and the Inbetweens. I'm your host, Kelly Priest, and every fortnight I talk to a different guest about researchers, development, and everything in between. Hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of RD in the Inbetweens. It's Kelly Priest here and I'm delighted to be bringing you a follow-up episode to my discussion about being a BAME researcher in higher education. So following the events in America over the summer, I actually made the second episode of this podcast a, a special episode where I wanted to talk to one of our BAME researchers about the reality of higher education for someone that is black and therefore working in a structurally and institutionally racist environment. I'm really pleased today to be able to follow up that conversation by talking to one of my wonderful colleagues, Tina, who started the BME network at the University of Exeter and is playing a crucial role in fighting structural racism at our university and beyond prioritising and amplifying the voice of black and BAME staff, students, researchers and is generally being a role model I think for all of us in how we can challenge power structures and work to make our community a better and more inclusive place. So like with my episode with Victoria, I'm going to do minimal to no editing of this conversation. So it's another longer episode, but I think it's important that I don't assert my white privilege and perspective onto this conversation and that I let Tina's words um, do the fantastic work that they and Tina do. So my name is Tinashe Verhaha and I am currently the College EDI Manager for CIS, so the College of um, Social Sciences at the University of Exeter. And I'm also a project manager on a GCRF funded project called Imagining Futures, which is very cool. Um, I am one of the founders of the BME Network uh, and I'm the current chair of the BME Network as well. Um, and I run a number of really cool initiatives around race in higher education at the University of Exeter. Brilliant. So the BME network is relatively new to the university. If I'm remembering my timelines right, probably about two years old. Yeah, exactly. We started last year, 2019, January. So can you tell me a little bit about about how the network got started and 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 I guess the why from your perspective although hopefully it should seem relatively straightforward about why <laughs> so um I've worked at the university I studied at the university first wow. of all and I've yeah I was a student in the business school um and I've worked there since I graduated so that's that would have been since 2011 and it was it was always kind of uneventful really um until uh, in in 2018 i had a series of personal experiences around that you know around race and racism at the university um and i realized that the debilitating nature of those experiences was in the fact that i just had no one 
to talk to about it, no one who understood, no one who could kind of, you know, have that reaction of they said what or or laugh about it together you know it was just lonely and it was crushing um and i realized that i've got i've got such a strong support system anyway um in terms of family and friends but i think that you know the lacking was having another black woman or another woman of color or a person of color to talk to about specific things that was what I didn't have at the time and I you know so I was saying I was aware of the fact that um, I have a strong support system I've been at the, I've been an extra for so long and um, I think my heart broke for people who did, didn't have what I had so people who ha were going through these experiences um, but we're alone, you know, if you're an international student, for example, um, your family's abroad. Um, I was an international student, so I get it. I, I didn't go home for five years at one point. Um, so I, I get it. And I just thought, you know, this is, let's just fix this one thing, at least. If I do anything, it's to fix this one thing where we have community and we can all come together and, um, dissect these experiences and make a difference. So um, I started having conversations with people and the network officially launched in January 2019. And certainly from my perspective as kind of an ally and a, a slight outside of this has just been in going from strength to strength in terms of its voice Mm -hmm. and position in the university and particularly um in latter months kind of really leading the way for the university to start having some really important conversations mm -hmm. about race and black attainment and the black attainment gap amongst other things yeah um, i was quite interested by what you said about kind of everything kind of had been peeling along was everything fine and then you had a kind of couple of instances in 2018 uh -huh. that were really challenging um we've we've talked before and i think one of the things that really um has been much more part of the conversation of late has been about the about structural racism and the ways in which our systems are inherently racist in the way that they're built and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about from your perspective what the what those issues are in higher education what are you know what aspects of the system are yeah. structurally racist um so I looking back one of the things that that kind of spurred on this awakening in me was I I so I started, I was started a new job um, and I just realized, I had a realization that I am capable, I'm competent, I'm educated and I should, and ambitious and I'm ambitious and I should progress my career. And I'd apply for jobs and get interviews, but constantly be told you're completely, you know, appointable, but you're completely appointable. But, and this isn't just, you know, one or two or five interviews I might have gone for 15 interviews in one year and kept getting the same response and that's when I realized that this environment seems to be happy when I'm at a certain level but when I when I'm wanting to go up that step it feels harder than it should be 
Um, and I think that's an example of how um, structural racism manifests is in, um, you know, how difficult it is to progress for people of color. And, you know, it's evidenced by how thin the number the numbers get as you go up the organization. Um, the number of black professors we have or BAME professors, whatever it is, there is evidence that shows that um, there is, there's a barrier to progression. Yeah. Um, and we talk about, you know, the, the attainment gap um, and how, and all of this goes to show that there's a problem, you know, there's a problem with, um, the, around the experience of um, students um, of color because evidentially they are likely to perform less than their white counterparts. And the only thing I can see, only difference I can see is the fact that they are, you know, they, they're people of color. Um, and I know that it's a, it's a societal problem as well. Um, but what can we do to challenge that and address that as the university? Um, and I think Exeter also has unique issues in that the city we're in is predominantly white. Devon is predominantly white. And, um, you know, even I've, I know, I've, I'd, I talk to students who tell me, and staff, you know, I've had members of staff tell me that experiencing racism in the city is the norm. Um, I'm lucky that this isn't the norm for me. If anyone, if I experienced overt racism, I'd, I'd take note. I have experienced it in the city, um, but it's not at the stage where I'd call it the norm. But I've heard that when black students are in town, um, out, out um, you know, clapping or whatever, it's the norm to have racist insults thrown at them. Um, so, you know, Exeter, Devon, Cornwall especially um, have that issue. And um, I think um, we just, I, I think, you know, looking at the evidence of the experiences um, of people of color in Exeter, there is an issue. It's not even just about listening to people's stories. You can't deny it. I, I'd, I'd, I'd almost say, show me an area where people of color are, don't seem to be on the, the back end of, um, of being able to succeed or um, progress. I'd almost say, if, let's it, it, looking at it that way it would be a shorter conversation. Yes, and I think it's the the thing you say about the local areas is really interesting for me. I grew up in this area, and certainly my kind of when I went to university and I lived, you know, I lived out of Devon for ten, fifteen years, and when I would describe multiculturalism in Devon my sort of explanation was we don't have it it hasn't got there yet mm -hmm. um, and certainly since I've started working at, at the University of Exeter and I've been meeting kind of research students when they start you know I've had a couple of um, BAME researchers say to me very early on kind of that they're you know 
they go into Exeter and it's it's not necessarily that they're talking about experiences of overt racism or racist remarks although obviously that does happen but more the kind of being struck by mm-hmm. how undiverse and how overwhelmingly white and then you kind of come up to this university on the hill and it's slightly more diverse than the city that surrounds it mm-hmm. but not hugely yeah um no, I remember going to Birmingham once. It must have been Birmingham. Um, and I'd never been. And stepping off the station, I was like, am I still in England? Yeah. Where am I? It's so, it's so diverse. Mm-hmm. I, didn't st- I didn't stick out at all. I didn't, f- you know, like in Exeter, you're walking down the street and you see people of color. You, 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 they just pop out at you yes. because there's so few of us. You're like, I see you, you know, um, and you do that, the, the acknowledgement um, that says, I see you, and I've not seen many of us here today. And in Birmingham, I remember just, it, it was overwhelming. I'm like, I, I, I don't nod, because there's just too many of you. I can't, I can't just be nodding at everyone to say hi. Like, that's just how um, different it was. Um, and I think that's when I realized, because I, 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 yeah, I think that's when I realized that how how different the situation here is does that does that make you behave differently i mean i i appreciate it for certain that it makes other people behave differently but does it make you behave differently do you feel more comfortable do you feel more relaxed i definitely felt more relaxed i definitely it, it's just it felt nice to not stick out it felt nice to not feel like um an awareness of I don't know what people who are around me think because so few of them look like me and some of them might be racist (laughs) it's it's my reality you know it is a reality that some of the people you walk past in town are thinking oh I wish she'd go back where she came from without even knowing me um so it it, oh I I definitely felt relaxed um and I think that's something that you know as white people we don't it's so far from our experience it's just something we don't think about about that sense of i don't quite mean belonging but comfort in your surroundings because you know you're always surrounded by people that look like you um and and you do blend in um exactly so you mentioned about there being a particular kind of particular issues at Exeter. And I, w- I would like to get into that a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of, so you mentioned the issue of where Exeter is located mm-hmm. um, being a kind of contributing factor. Um, but what if we, we kind of recognize structural is structural racism is a global problem. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, for sure i mean and we've got so much data to prove it um a problem in higher education what is it about exeter that gives us a particular problem i i think we've always exeter is kind of you know this elite university we're very it's very middle class it's very um i've heard it referred to historically as the a green welly Yes. attracting green welly brigade um and you know i'm i think i i recognize that i have privilege and that 
you know, my parents worked so hard to be able to give me the best education. Um, and there's an extent to which I can come into this environment and I, I know how to be a black woman in this environment. I know how to sound like I fit in yeah. um, and all of that. Um, but there is something about being being um, from that kind of middle class background, um, especially like middle class white, that means that you don't, you might, you're, you're less likely maybe to understand what it's like to be othered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do think that um, the combination of, you know, being having the, this academic community that is very middle class white in themselves and then um, a student body that is similar but not not complete not 100% like I'm not but I'm saying to an extent um, just has led to the conversation around the experiences of um, minority communities or marginalized communities being stinted and the um, progression and, and development of a more inclusive community being affected by that. Um, and I actually also think that we compartmentalize. So um, as people, we've learned that what I discuss with my friends outside of work or outside of the university is very different to what I discuss when I'm in work. Yeah. Um, so I might actually be an activist outside of work, but I'm not bringing that into my office. I'm not bringing that into my classroom. Um, and again, there's reasons behind that. You know, do what what do we feel like there's repercussions for speaking out? And I think historically they probably have been because um, of where the conversation has uh, has been at the time. Um, but that also is another reason that I'd say the conversation is stinted. Mm. Um, But I mean, it's good to see that there's change around that as well. On that kind of theme about, about kind of conversations about race, one of the things that I was interested to talk about was um, this notion of academic freedom of speech. So there've been several instances um, nationwide, but I'm thinking of a couple in particular, Exeter, where comments have been made um, about trans people and also about um, uh, BAME people and in particular in recent months about um, colonialism that have been viewed as problematic but have been defended perhaps not defended but dismissed on the basis of well we have academic freedom of speech and we have a right to be critical and that's our job and that's what we do as an institution even if what's being said is quite obviously problematic to some of us um and I wondered what your what your thoughts were about that about this notion of academic freedom of speech yeah so I don't come at this from an academic background because I'm not an academic um it's from what I've seen and what I understand it I I have an appreciation for academic freedom of speech and what it allows um 
people to explore um, and what it could do for future generations. Um, I think for me, um, it's a problem when it seems to allow people to behave in a way that lacks integrity, yeah. when it allows people to, um, I don't know, not, not act out of good character um, or it's, yeah, it just removes common decency because yeah. there's a, you know, when, when we're talking about these issues, I don't talk about racism out of a kind of ideology and academic research or whatever. I talk about it from um, wanting a better experience, a better lived experience for people. Um, and if, and if someone is more, if someone's finding that their academic freedom of speech is more important than actually listening to what the individual is saying about the, about how they're being oppressed, um, then what, what are you going to do with that? Um, it is, I just, I feel like, you know, when people, when those kinds of people exist and they can, they'll go about doing their life until something hopefully um, makes them see that there are people behind these stories yeah. um, and hopefully they'll come out from behind the academic freedom of speech banner that they're able to hide behind. Um, and I think part for me as a sort of, you know, an, an ex-academic and a researcher, that mm-hmm. there's there's something in there about hiding behind the objectivity of research. So there's this kind of fallacy that we have that, you know, research is objective. We're not looking at it you know our personal experiences and our and viewpoints and the lived experience people don't come into it we're just looking at this because we're, we're stepping back and we're looking at it objectively as if mm-hmm. that's in any way possible and mm-hmm. um, and actually you know there are a lot of research traditions in sort of the past couple of decades that have moved beyond that and said well a you can't do that if it involves human beings it's inherently subjective and biased but also, B, why would we want to look at it in that way? Why would we want to look at experiences of race and colonialism objectively? Because they aren't objective. They're subjective. Exactly. And like you're saying, that we're talking about people's lived experience. So why would we want to talk about it in a way that's disconnected from that? Exactly. That's so true. And on an um, academic level, it's, it's one of my frustrations. On, an, on a purely academic level, it makes no sense to me because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, let alone the kind of more kind of moral kind of you know kind common decency kind of angle to it which of course is is more important um I think as well you know I I think about how um academia is built on the basis of white supremacy and um how until we understand that this notion of academic freedom of speech is built on the ideology of white supremacy there's power dynamics involved in it um and it's never going to be something that allows society to move on in an inclusive way absolutely and that and that academic freedom of speech is not academic freedom of speech for all. Exactly. It's for people with identities that we find most comfortable or palatable 
exactly and that that's a really important thing because i think there is like you know there's i often hear the argument you know for for lots of different um minority groups that well you know well but but you know you can't overtly decide to pay someone less or, or because they're a woman or not promote them because they're black or not hire them because they're disabled and all that sort of thing you know it, it, you can't do that it doesn't happen we have we have processes against it and you go but 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 so then why do we not have more of those people represented um exactly. in senior management and it's not that those it's not that the decisions unnecessarily overtly racist but if you've got a system that's based on white supremacy and you know privileges white male cis middle class straight voices Mm -hmm. then inevitably you're going to be making decisions that are based on that history exactly exactly um it's it's inherently it's inherently racist and oppressive and you know we need to start thinking outside the box being innovative in approaching these issues and not do what we've always done because look where what we've always done has left us you know yeah absolutely and i think you know it in in terms of my own journey to understand this as a white person i think you know one of the things that it it was challenging to get my head around was the ways in which things are, you know, systems are structurally racist and, you know, systems like academia are built on white supremacy because I don't see it mm-hmm. because it doesn't, it, it, I was going to say it doesn't affect me. It does affect me. It affects me positively. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, and I think as well in learning about race and racism, learning the, learning that kind of <laughs> racism isn't just racial slurs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been quite a, a diff- quite, quite a challenging thing to wrap my head around, I think, over the years um, and has completely changed my my perspective uh, Mm. on on systems but i think it's still you know i'm for instance it's only really in recent years that when i've so i i when i walk in a room to a meeting say particularly kind of any any kind of management meeting i will always know how many women there are in that room Mm-hmm. And I will always make a mental note of, oh, I'm the only woman in this room, or I'm one of three women in this room, and two of us are taking notes, or <laughs> whatever it is. But it's only in recent years that I've started to to walk into a room and go, hang on a minute, you're thinking about whether or not there were women in this room because you're a woman, and because that's what you're looking for, and and you're looking for people like you, but realizing that the majority of you know i've so i've worked in he for 11 years now in a variety of different roles and if i look look back and think hard i can remember 
very few rooms I was in that had people in them that weren't white. Yeah. Very few. Like I, I really struggle to remember. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's not from some lofty thing of I don't see right and all of that sort of stuff. It's thinking back. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure the majority of meetings and rooms and events that I've been involved in in HE have been almost completely white. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, we have we have the data, you know we have acres of it um and it and it's completely stark but there's yeah. that doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be enough to convince people of how much of a problem this is completely there's lots of um ex explanations that i've i mean i don't actually think there are lots of explanations i've heard when you ask about the number of um, people of colour who work at the university but a big one is um, look at the context of Exeter you know it's mm -hmm. difficult to, um, to to find the people um, and you know I, I can understand that but I, you know I think of the number of people of colour who've been interviewed for jobs um, who just have not been appointed here um, and I'm like no it might not have made the world of a difference. It might not have meant that walking on, on campus is like walking in Birmingham, but it would have made a difference if people actually stopped to examine what was happening with our hiring practices. Um, and, and I really like what you're saying, because I, I always wonder, I, I, I'm, I'm often the only black woman in a room. I've, I feel lucky that I've had a black manager in my career here. Um, and I have had someone, I've actually seen someone, a black woman managing and seen that I've had that role model. And I feel really lucky for that, about that. I, I actually realized that a lot of people might not ever have had that. Um, and I think about the number of managers who um don't have any kind of diversity around them at all or the number of people who are able to make a change who could go through months without having had a meeting that has someone who is on not it doesn't have to be equal footing but has a position of responsibility and authority who is a person of color around them and how comfortable that seems to look for them because they don't, they don't ever, they don't seem to be uncomfortable with it. Um, and I think, you know, I hear a lot from students, especially when people start, yeah, it's like, where, where am I represented? I have no black professors. I have no black um, tutor leads or whatever. Where I'm not represented anywhere. I don't feel represented on my course. I don't feel represented. I don't feel like I have. Like, I don't have a role model, um, and I think it's just these are the reasons that we we talk about these issues because you know we talk about the BME attainment gap and one of the I'm like how can we expect people to succeed when the measures of success around them um, they're not represented in that you know. No, and and also that the routes to achievement have infinitely more 
blocks and hurdles and mm. placed in in the way you know it's not like everybody's everybody's walking through the same you know perfectly open door it's yeah. not it's not as simple as that and I you know I remember myself you know thinking when I was younger that that think you know had a very kind of idealistic kind of meritocracy idea that well, you know if you work hard you can do anything when of course that's not that's it's just infinitely not that simple because no. if and, and I think the thing about not seeing people represented is interesting because it just perpetuates if you don't see yourself represented in academia in like having black professors and role models then you don't consider that to be a route that you would go down because you don't see yourself modeled in that and then we you know we continue to get get in this perpetual cycle of people don't see themselves so they don't pursue those career routes or pursue those opportunities um and it just all that does is reinforce the status quo rather yeah. than challenge it and it seems to me um that therefore what we need to be doing is taking a step back from that whole process and going okay what can we do to you know if we're not hiring um very many black people if we're not attracting yeah. that many black researchers or black academics what ca what can we do to m more actively recruit black yeah. academics to create an to put policies and environment in place that would make black academics and, and students want to come here. If we think that's the issue, then what, what can we do to, to change the environment to be more attractive, but also like, I think go out and actually find people, not expect kind of people to come to us. That's so interesting. Um, is that what I, I mean, I think, in the last 12 months especially, there have been a number of open letters mm. um, written to the university about um, racism and race at the university. And I actually, there's a number of um, commonalities around, across all the letters, but one commonality is that no, not one of them talks about increasing diversity. Not one of them says we need more people of color. All of them are just talking about the current environment yeah. and what and what needs to be changed. Um, and I, I just find that I found that interesting personally because it is saying that there's is this what needs to happen to this environment for people to actually kind of recommend Exeter um, to people, you know, to students and people who are looking for jobs, but also because we know that you'll come and succeed not that you'll you'll come here and have to fight racism you know yeah um i think of um the, the, the student body and how some you know some people could go through their whole career and kind of have you know uh, a relatively positive um, experience and i say relatively because no one has a perfect experience no. but but not but without having to kind of um spend emotional physical energy and labor towards improving the the environment around them but the likelihood that black students have to come here and then 
be students but also be activists yeah. is well higher than their white counterparts um, and I just think about the, the time and energy that that takes and I don't know it, it, it breaks my heart to think that that's an experience that people have as standard just because you are experiencing the oppression of racism and structural racism in an env- at the university you know yeah and I think that's another that's another thing that I wanted to pick up on really is this is this sense of labor and I mean you know literal physical labor but largely kind of mental and emotional labor mm-hmm. that goes into being being black or being BAME in this kind of environment where you don't have the same opportunities to progress and to succeed and that you know potentially as a student you're thinking about coming to university and like you said you're not just thinking about coming to university to enjoy it and to work or and to get your degree but making a decision of do I want do I want to be a part of this system where I have to in some shape or form fight Mm -hmm. for my right to be there well I mean um I think that the idea that that idea of um black people having to to be the voices that change the system in a in a place like Exeter is, is only exacerbated by how few of us they are. Mm. So I'm regularly the only black person in a meeting um, who then has to say, okay, do you know what? Um, something horrific is happening in the black community mm. internationally. And I have to tell people that I'm not coping because of this. And I'm not even saying this because for me, but I'm saying it because um, we have black students and I'm hoping that I'm not the only black member of staff that those people might be around that day mm-hmm. and it's good practice for people to know what's going on across the world so we can support each other and be a more inclusive environment um, but this ends up being just constant for me in the workplace I'm constantly the one who will have to say in a meeting okay what are the ETI implications of that or um, have uh, is there an awareness of what J.K. Rowling has been saying about trans people? Yeah. What, what 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 are we what what message are we wanting to send as as colleagues and to our students? Do we are we just ignoring it or are we really not aware of it? I do I it, you know it's confusing for me. Um, yeah. Um, but it's it, I, my I you know it's been what almost two years now that I've been working with the network and it's been a roller coaster personally i feel like i'm constantly broken into pieces by conversation hearing what people's experiences are like on the ground yeah um and it's just heartbreaking to know that that's that's happening but also seeing how incredible these people are they just you know there's an awareness that racism is the white people's problem so it's that white person's problem it's not my problem I am phenomenal and capable and you uh, whoever it is that's perpetuating the racism just has a lot of work to do in themselves to be better people um but it's still it's not easy it's still difficult and I think okay so personally um 
the person who's probably seen my struggles the most is my husband. Um, he's seen me where I'm just completely broken because of how hard I have to work um, and how little the returns feel. Yes. Um, and, but, you know, there's also, I find that there are people in the university that I can work with and we do really good work. But it's the people who are not convinced, I don't know, who don't feel that racism is worth putting effort towards, mm-hmm. who, whose response to racism seems, it, it feels performative um, because of the things they say behind closed doors. Yeah. And I've had those experiences of things said behind closed doors where, and then also having the, I, I think that's probably what's broken me the most is seeing how people who are performative get away with it. Um, they not only get away with being performative, but they get away with, with doing, with saying things that are harmful behind closed doors. Yeah. Um, but because there's a power dynamic at play, they come out smelling like roses, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's one of the things that really get to me. And I'm, 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 so big on justice and so big on social justice that I want to I want to shake up the system and say this is wrong but then I'm also just aware of how strong the the political dynamics are in higher education in life in general but in higher education specifically that's very hierarchical it's incredibly political mm-hmm. um, and you have to pick your I have, I feel like I've come to a stage where you know I, I have to pick my battles um, and I also, you know, have to think about where I want to invest my own emotional energy. Yes. The, uh, there's an extent to which I actually feel that the university is, I mean, there are pockets in the university where really, really good work is being done. Um, I've, and I, I have faith and trust that there'll be really, really good outcomes out of it. And it is more about... Um, setting up systems where people are incentivized to um, think about the racism and race um, power power dynamics, because there isn't an incentive. If if, if someone's not engaged, how do you engage people who are not engaged, basically? Um, And I think that's where the issue will always lie. Um, But, you know, I also feel a, a level of frustration that I can't just have... I can't just build my career. Why do I have to um, be an advocate alongside building a career? I, you know, I think I just want to, I'm doing this because when, when my kids are working, I'm hopeful that they will be in a position where they are more likely to be able to just build their careers without having to be activists. Um, because of the color of their skin. They can be activists because the world will always need it, but not because their mom was black, that they need to do this, to do things in addition to what um, other people who have a level of privilege that they don't have can do. And that really reminds me of what you said earlier about your kind of your experience of, of trying to progress and going interviewing for like 15 jobs and always being told you're appointable at a book. Appointable, not appointed, mm-hmm. not appointed, um, is what I call mm-hmm. it. And, and I suppose sitting in that situation and feeling that frustration, 
and all of the work that needs to be done whilst I am imagining you're watching white colleagues mm-hmm. progress up that ladder more easily. Completely. Um, um, and I, 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 that's completely right. I think I, re- I remember looking at my credentials and looking at credentials of different colleagues and not in a, not in a comparing, but I, I guess not having had a mentor to actually at one stage say, Tina, you are incredible and you, you're to affirm your ambition I kind of having to affirm that ambition in myself because no one else is going to do it for you, first of all, and then kind of pegging where you, sh- you, you should be in your career using kind of, um, you know, do it in a measured way, not just kind of um, finger in the sky um, approximation. Um, but seeing that there are people who you operate at the same level and, but it's it's just proving to be impossible for you, and also accept like accepting the fact that um, I, I I don't know I don't feel entitled to these jobs. But on the balance of probability, once you've had a certain number of interviews um, and you're appointable, something's got to work out, right? Um, All of the things that you get told it, it's it's to do with the candidate pool or there's, you know, there just happens to be somebody that's already working in that area or at that level or, you know, whatever the kind of rationale is, there's got, yeah, logic tells you that at some point yeah. that's got to work in your favour. Exactly. At some point. And it, it, it did, but I just feel like that, that some point came um, yeah. after a, a, a hell of a lot of <laughs> attempts. Um, and, it's also, you know, it's difficult to 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 say that because you're kind of like, um, I don't know, you like you imagine that people yeah. are like, oh, but maybe you weren't ready for the job or you weren't good at the job. Or you, there's 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 reasons that people will have for that, and some of them might be true. But I I do I, I say this because it's it's not just my experience. I have colleagues who go through mm-hmm. similar things where I'm like, you've got how many degrees and you're what grade and you've been trying to progress, but you're getting, you're finding it impossible, you know? Um, and this is in the professional services, not academia. I mean, I certainly know from my, from my experience as a, as a woman in this environment and also trying to progress that kind of, I've got, I've got to the kind of level where women tend to top out in HE and so trying to progress beyond that is Mm -hmm. is an ongoing challenge and I think one of the things that um one of the things that I've I've struggled with and I wondered if it, it it was a similar experience is after a certain number of rejections kind of even though people are saying that you're appointable going well is 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 there something wrong with me why isn't it why is it that I I keep getting rejected and I think it's very mm-hmm. easy to then take the not the blame of it because it's not but but go oh there must be something wrong with me and I feel you know really privileged to have wonderful um mm-hmm. people particularly women in my life who turn around and go no it's not you it's the system um but it's really 
difficult not to take that sense of responsibility and a sense of almost failure onto yourself even if you know logically that yeah the issue is more about the system than it is about you and i wondered if that was the same kind of experience yeah Yeah. completely i i don't know if there's a way to not take it on you in some way and without exactly and without that that voice that does say there's something with the system you will take it on and i think that's part of what i was trying to say before um but you definitely um summed it up perfectly um is that you know you can all after after your nth rejection mm-hmm. it's like what what else could i have done you know what else could i have done what, um what's wrong with me am i am i just fooling myself to think that um i i sh- I, I should invest in this ambition that i have and this um and the fact that i know i can do this job or whatever um but i think for, i i i actually started to think about what this about unconscious bias and you know the training that we get in light of the fact that a lot of the interviews i'll have um the positions would uh, are likely to be take to be given to the 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 successful candidate is likely to be a white woman (laughs) like um and the person who was in the position before is likely to be a white woman um and, and i think there's something to be said about unconscious bias when you're filling a position in a way that's like for like when it comes to these characteristics because you can't see out the box and you can't see that there's something um stopping you from seeing someone who looks different in that position um so i think for me it's something that i had to that i have to i have to keep reminding myself that it's not me i mean i i i'm always I'm someone who's into um, growing as a person, developing myself. Um, so I, 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 you know, when I get feedback, I will take it on board. Um, but there's an extent to which I'm like, it's, it, there's something about the system that is blocking, that's making it more difficult than it has to be. Um, and I have to keep reminding myself of that yes. because it's important. It's important that I don't internalize what's going on um and i keep forging ahead and i keep trying to make a difference for future generations and i think that really for me relates back to you know what you were saying earlier about the you know why you set up the network and the importance of it Mm -hmm. is is having those role models but also just people around you who share in that experience who can kind of be your voice of reason outside yourself to help you not internalize everything exactly Um, exactly and we do i have colleagues that we have these conversations with about with because i'm not the only one who's struggled in this way we talk about how how frustrating it is um and it's a it's a shared experience for among some of us um yeah one of the things that i'm 
I'm interested in hearing about from you as well is what what's changing I'm not going to say changed but what's what's starting to, starting to, that process of changing as a result of the BME network I know from a sort of as again as an outsider I'm seeing a lot more conversation um mm-hmm. at university level about issues to do with race um and certainly initiatives um and events around race but i i wondered kind of what what from your perspective feels like it's changing if any if anything yeah um so i i i'd say that the allies are definitely bringing their allyship into work more um i can't speak for the student community because i'm I, i don't know um but in terms of the work environment um people who are in positions all over at different levels in the university are definitely bringing their allyships into work and trying to and people who and people are encouraging and motivating themselves to learn more about what race and racism mean for them in a work context which is phenomenal um and it's leading to a lot of these initiatives um that would not have taken place before without this move um there's there are more conversations going on um and when i started this whole journey in general i remember thinking i don't understand how we can have such white (laughs) leadership and be expected to just naturally trust that our that my um best interests are being incorporated into a decision or that my that, that um, the vantage point of being a black woman in this institution is appropriately being represented in decision making. I just, I didn't understand that. And um, I think that I'd say that there is definitely more conversation and there are, there's more um, relationships of trust being built, um, which yeah. is important because um, I think Actually, yeah, I'd say that the university, there are pockets in the university that are recognizing that you don't just assume you have trust or that um, as a community, we are saying we deserve to be able to trust you. And if you can't um, subscribe to that, then we're going to have an issue that we need to talk about or we're actually just there's going to be something done about the fact that you don't think that you owe a duty of yes. care to us as a community and um, we know that white assumptions and an understanding about race and racism are massively flawed so you know yeah. and and if i can recognize that as a white person and recognize yeah. recognize the flaws in my previous thinking as well you know how can we not realize that of course if you're black you don't trust white management to represent your views because you know that any guesswork they're doing about your experience mm-hmm. is a lot of the time wholly inaccurate and and that's not necessarily a a, a fault of theirs but you've not lived it so how how do how can you really understand the reality of that experience and if you've not lived it and if you're not engaging with people's experience exactly it's completely it and i think as as members of this community i for one was like okay so we're in the situation where our leadership is white how are we gonna 
um, enter a dialogue that shows that we can, we, you get, you, I want to hear the language. I want to hear what kind of language you're using. I want to know how we interact. Are you, are you defensive when we're interacting or are you, are you, are you, are you saying the right things? Um, are you say, acknowledging the fact that things as they are, um, are not ideal in any way, but we're working towards it? Or when we're in a meeting, are you using me just as lived experience or as a professional woman in your organization? Um, the, so that the, we've had conversations with different people in management at the university and they've, I think that's, that's been um, a really positive change for us and a, an opportunity for people to be able to be frank in conversation um, and to actually be um, building with when it comes to a lot of these initiatives as opposed to them being completely top yeah. down. Um, and the conversation element is just crucial in general across the university. There's, I think, you know, th this is a time like no other when we look at the comms around race and racism in the university and even looking at so Steve Smith acknowledging certain things about race and racism at the university um, in his um, last address to the to staff um, shows that there is there is something different about how things are now and even I think they're even completely different how things were at the beginning of last year mm -hmm. completely different um, and the network has, we've been so busy. We've worked so hard as a community. So busy. Yeah. <laughs> we've worked so hard as a community to make sure that we are seen um, and that we're not only seen as people with lived experience, but we are professionals, we are capable, we're competent. And in ourselves, we're, I think there's, I, I, there's an extent to which I'm like, okay, do you know what? You might be more senior than me, but don't don't be fooled to think that you are more capable than me in any way. Um, I I have the fact that I'm a black woman um, that I work with every day, and things would have been things would be different if we were in we were switched places. So I think in me, it's that understanding that I might not have that position. But there are reasons for that. It's not because I am incapable or incompetent. So I'm going to act like that person who has that position um, because that's what, things, that's what needs to happen for things to get done. Um, and whoever it is that I'm talking to can, can kind of process how they want for themselves, but you can't deny the fact that what we're saying makes sense and things need to change. Um, so you can, you know, we can process it together. We, I'm going to be available to process things with you, but not, but not when you're looking down on us in any way. Um, then we're just going to go around you over your head or whatever, because things need to get done. So in all of this, we've talked about all of the issues and all of the work that you're doing and some of the really positive changes that are happening in our university community, certainly. And... So I wanted to finish by asking you, what do you hope for? If I was going to hope for anything um, out of this conversation, it would be that, we, you know, we need to expand our 
horizons, expand our perspectives and think about the different experiences around us. Um, not, not to think that everyone sees life through our lenses and be open to that. And also be vocal in creating an environment in which more, more people can succeed um, and the voices of more people are, are included. Thank you so much to Tina for taking the time to talk to me. I found our conversation really challenging and humbling and moving in equal measure, particularly around discussions of the importance of community, the importance of seeing people who look like you to being part of a community, but also having a support network where you are encountering racism whether that be through overt racism racism or microaggressions or structural racism but so you've got people to share those experience with experiences with that you can relate to i'm hoping that this discussion will be the start of a series of um, episodes of this podcast throughout the next few months on discriminated groups and their experiences of he i think it's really important to open up the discussion and to be honest about what it's like to have a protected characteristic or be part of a minority group and operate in our environment. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and join me next time where I'll be talking to somebody else about researchers, development and everything in between.